I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, how you doing, podcats? Adam Buxton here. Reporting to you from a sunny farm track in the east of England. Norfolk County, if you want to know specifics. Up ahead, I got my dog friend Rosie. She's bouncing. Enjoying the sunshine. We're taking a different route today. Because I'm also here with my daughter once again. And she thought uh, it would be a good idea to mix things up. These young people with their crazy mixing things up ideas. She's walking uh, a few metres ahead of me. You all right, daughter? I'm okay. Excited about going back to school on Monday? Uh, yeah. Yes, she is. Who is number one in the charts? For music? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Kids these days, she doesn't even know who's number one. The UK's current number one is, according to officialcharts.com, driver's license. It's been number one for a few weeks. Everyone loves it. People love that song. Olivia Rodrigo. I got my driver's license last week. She's like we always talked about. <laughs> is that how it goes? Yeah, I guess. She sounds like a little woodland creature who's just learned how to drive. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty impressive, but she's like 17 or something. She's 17, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good. I hope she's enjoying her success rather than being crushed by it. Anyway, look, let me tell you about my guest for podcast number 152. The New Zealand-born comedian, actor and writer Rose Matafeo. Matafeo facts. Rose, currently aged 29, grew up in Auckland, New Zealand, the daughter of a Scottish-Croatian mother and a Samoan father. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I used to say Samoan, but I notice Rose pronounces it differently, so I'm aiming for that. Samoan. Mum and Dad Matafeo are adherents of Rastafarianism, and they provided a domestic environment for their three children that Rose has described in the past as quite relaxed. Perhaps that helped provide the confidence she needed to start performing stand-up comedy at the tender age of 15. Just three years later, in 2010, Rose won the Best Newcomer Award at the New Zealand International Comedy Festival. A series of stand-up shows as well as TV presenting and acting jobs followed, and in 2015, Rose moved to the UK, where, according to Wikipedia, she shared a flat with comedian Nish Kumar in Shepherd's Bush for a while, before moving in with her then-boyfriend, James Acaster. Her stand-up show, Horn Dog, won the Edinburgh Fringe Comedy Award for Best Show in 2018. It was filmed for HBO, I think, and is currently available to watch on the BBC iPlayer, You'll find a link in the description of this podcast. Rose also starred in the comedy film Baby Done, released towards the end of last year. 
maybe it was earlier on this year in this country, I'm not sure, in which she plays a would-be adventurer who panics when she falls pregnant to her long-term boyfriend, a man who couldn't be happier at the prospect of fatherhood. Rose is terrific in it, and it's available to watch on digital platforms and on DVD, if you like antediluvian tech, now. Meanwhile, as you will hear, Rose has been working on a sitcom called Starstruck, which, all being well, will emerge later this year. Do you want to go through the wood, Rose? Come on, let's do it. Ooh, crunchy bracken. I love a bowl of crunchy bracken. (laughs) My conversation with Rose, not Rosie, took place over the medium of Zoom with Rose in London and me in my nutty room in Norfolk a few days after Valentine's Day this year, 2021. And though it was our first time meeting, don't worry, that's in inverted commas, we enjoyed a relaxed and upbeat conversation that rambled all over the place. Once I had tested my Zoom audio settings, we took in subjects that included my head exploding in the film Hot Fuzz, ghosts and other half-understood theories about the ether, the complicated business of writing about real people and relationships in comedy and in books, traumatic celebrity interviews and anecdote anxiety, our fondness for the Hollywood Brat Pack, the pros and cons of living a very long life. And right at the end, I played Rose a bit of music that I wrote, especially for her. Now, speaking of mixing things up, instead of the regular Ramble Chat jingle this week, I am playing a remix, watch out, and I chose this one as the winner of the Ramble Chat remix competition on the Metapop website that regular listeners will recall me mentioning earlier this year. There is a link in the description of this week's episode if you want to hear some of the other winners and runners-up who received various bits of music-making software from Native Instruments as their prize. I will scatter one or two more winning remixes throughout today's podcast, and I guess I'll probably just butt in and say who they're by in a slightly clumsy way after each one. But I'll probably be playing a few more in forthcoming episodes. There were quite a few good ones, and ones that I really liked, and I'd like to play them at some point. But right now, all the way from St. Petersburg, Russia, here is a reimagined ramble chat by Andrei Bulankov. Hope I'm pronouncing that not too badly, a.k.a. The Boy. Hit it!
La 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 la. Zoom is testing its output with this quite annoying tune. Someone's gonna use it in a song, no doubt. I bet that will happen soon. And then the beats kick in. Oh, look, there's Rose. I admit her. I'm on. Hello. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. You seem like we're both a bit stunned. I know. <laughs> that we don't have more technical problems. I know. It's very weird. It went too smoothly. Now, I always find it weird on a Zoom when you get let in because you suddenly get quite nervous. Yeah. Just moments before you can see it's connecting. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. Get myself ready. I'm not so lovely to meet you over, over Zoom. Yeah. Very nice to meet you too. I mean, it still feels like you're meeting people, right? Like you always put in emails, very good to meet you albeit virtually. <laughs> or like I've put nice to e-meet you sometimes, which is the worst thing. I do that too, yeah. Yeah, you've got to put a dash after the E. It's fair enough. You have to acknowledge the fact that it is a somewhat different experience. It's not like IRL, mm. but it's still pretty good, right? It's still pretty good. What's so funny is being mildly starstruck over Zoom. Like if it was happening in real life, it's kind of a bit less weird. You're like, oh my gosh. It's Adam Bucks, so I'm get, I'll, get, I'll get over that immediately. I've seen you in a film, though. You haven't seen me in a film. Uh, no, I, ha- I haven't. No, actually, no. Actually, you may have seen me being killed in Hot Fuzz, if you've yeah, ever seen Yeah, you're that. in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, 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 that's true. So, yeah, I have. <laughs> one, one. Yeah. One all. I know, but I'm not in Hot Fuzz for very long. I die. You don't die in your film, so. <laughs> no. I die in all my films, thing. I think. Son of Rambo, I'm in for <laughs> 60 seconds, and I get some yeah. tweezers up my nose. Uh, stardust. I'm a ghost, so I've already been killed by an axe in the head. Yeah, that's the backstory you did. Yeah. I'm really jealous of that, man. I wish I could have a death scene. It seems like the coolest thing to act. I didn't have to do very much in Hot Fuzz. I just had to look where Edgar Wright told me to look. They did a head cast of me so -hmm. that they could explode my head. Oh, my God. And uh, in those days... I didn't have a beard. In fact, no, I did have a beard, but they asked me to shave it off. 2006, yeah. this was. I grew a beard in 2005. Yeah. And when they asked me to shave it off, I was quite alarmed at the expanse of flabby white flesh beneath, <laughs> which is why most men who have beards are reluctant to shave them off because they grew the beard for a reason. Everyone is self-conscious. I'm self-conscious. And that was one of the things that was fun about growing a beard was like, oh, look, there's some definition to my stupid big <laughs> face now. And then I had to shave it off. And it was just this kind of pasty expanse of <laughs> flesh underneath from this guy in his 30s who enjoyed drinking a bit too much. And in fact, the night before they did the head cast, I had drunk quite a lot of wine. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I just looked awful. <laughs> You know, I've got no professionalism about me. Yeah. Like most professional people, if they had to do a head cast for a film... Yeah, they wouldn't get blotto the night before. No, they're not going to drink loads of... I forget that as well because, like, the concept of, like, photo shoots and stuff, I forget about because it's just not a thing doing stand-up that you're kind of wary of. But I've become increasingly more aware of the fact that I I shouldn't get drunk every night of the week before I've got to take a photo. <laughs> That's going to be used for decades to come yeah on the friday like it's i've got that next week where yeah on friday i've got to take a photo for the show coming out and i was like oh it feels grossly adult to be like well i won't do white wine wednesday (laughs) (laughs) i'll i'll skip white wine wednesday this week don't have the whiskey after watching celebs go dating on thursday and so friday i won't look like hell wow that really is i mean that 
That marks you out as a proper star. I feel like Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. I was going to ask about the hot fuzz thing. Was it confronting seeing your own death? Yeah. Well, no, the, the confronting thing was seeing my disgusting, pasty, hungover face <laughs> rendered. The death of youth. Yeah. The death of young Adam. When they wheeled the... me on, they, they wheeled the dummy on. Mm. Edgar was like, cut, okay, let's get the dummy in. And suddenly the dummy turns up and it's quite a realistic looking version of me but it's quite crudely done so there's a wig but there's no eyebrows and stuff so it's very very corpse like already and it was very unsettling seeing that version of me there and I was like god I'm quite an ugly man and (laughs) uh, (laughs) and also just disgusting and then my head exploded and they'd filled the thing with loads of quite realistic looking guts like sometimes in the olden days when there was gore in movies, the colour of the blood was way off. Like it was yeah, too yeah. ketchup-y and too bright red. Yeah. But Edgar, being a gore hound himself, mm-hmm. obviously had the right special effects guys. And it was very arterial and dark and goopy, this blood. Oof. And there was bits of it everywhere. And Oh, man. Oh, that's so cool. I wish. I hope I get to get a cast done on my face one day. The only time I've ever done a cast is the Dublin Wax Museum, which is notorious for being one of the worst wax museums in the world. <laughs> it is so funny. Like the most mishmash parade of wax figures. Yeah. The gift shop does like a wax figure of your hand. They dip your hand in wax and then they make like a model out of it. Yeah. And um, gave it to um, my friend David, who I was staying with, and uh, it melted in the sun <laughs> in his living room. So it's just my wilted hand. Oh. Uh, yeah, it really freaked him out. He had to throw it out the other day. I was actually quite upsetting. My wilted hand. My wilted hand. <laughs> oh, Wax yeah. museums, they're one of life's great disappointments on the whole, aren't they? Like you get yeah. excited about the idea of them. I always remember hearing about Madame Two Swords and it was like, just mm. the name. She's got two swords? <laughs> She's just. She's a madam. <laughs> oh. I just thought, wow, this place sounds great, and it's full of celebrities. I love celebrities. Yeah. Let's go. And then you go, and it's like, oh, this is boring. I went there with my friend Alice, like semi recently, about a year ago, and um, I don't know if it was running at the time, but there's this sort of hellish ride oh. you can go on, which is like a London-themed amusement ride, and it's terrifying. So that you go through the history of London and um, it's the weirdest thing I've ever been on. It reminds me of one in the Edinburgh Dungeons. They, they've got a similar like ride, but it's a ride through the kind of history of a serial killer. Okay. I forgot his name. It's not one of the big guys. It's not oh. Jay Ripper, is it? Nah, it's like some sort of like, no, it was a man who had an incestuous relationship with his family. They lived in a cove. They killed and ate people. And basically you're on this amusement ride going through the history of that and it's, it's it's horrific. Dominic Cummings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly that. Yeah. Did you ever do the London Dungeon? Nah, man. I don't want to be scared. Oh, that you're I'm you're a- that nervous, are you? I think I could handle a London Dungeon. Have you ever done haunted houses in your life? No, because I strongly don't believe in ghosts. Do you? So I would just be such a pain in the ass. I would ruin it for everyone. Not even like a haunted house, sort of like um... a dangerous structure. Yeah, I've been in a dangerous structure, <laughs> and that's scary. Have you been in a house that's haunted by sort of the emotional ghosts of its past? Or <laughs> I've I, been I in just... a scary, creepy house, like an old, disused 
used house mm. and it was in the middle of nowhere. And I shot a music video there in the middle of the night, just me and this other guy, Dougal. Mm-hmm. And when Dougal went away and I carried on, I was like, I'm going to stay behind and carry on shooting a bit more for a mm. song called Nutty Room that I did. That was sort of scary just because I mm. thought there was a chance that some young hooligans would turn up and menace me. Yeah. I wasn't worried about the supernatural though. Interesting. I am... Um... I don't I don't technically believe in ghosts, but it is I guess it's a bit funny to do it. I don't know. Have you done one? I I did I shot something once in New Zealand in Auckland there there's this like kind of old um psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. that they've so deeply inappropriately turned into a haunted house sort of tour thing, you know. What's terrifying is the actual building where it's like, "Oh my god, the horrors that were like experienced here." Yes. And there's definitely like I don't know if I believe in ghosts, but I do believe in creepy feeling places. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know. I do I do get the ick in some places sometimes. Definitely. Well, I had it, yeah. I read something somewhere. This was one of these things that you kind of half absorb and then it becomes fact in your mind and you haven't really yeah. understood it properly. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the thing that I half absorbed, which I've never really checked since I absorbed it in my 20s, was yeah. that... Some people believe that a very extreme emotional experience can leave an imprint in the ether. Mm -hmm. So some people, I think, as far as I can remember, believe that the ether was this sort of quality in the air which recorded impressions of certain extreme events. Mm -hmm. That's probably Mm -hmm. total bullshit and not what the ether is. I think the ether (laughs) is not a real thing anyway. But... That resonated with me and I sort of thought, yeah, Yeah. okay, I think I can get behind that. It's not exactly a spirit world, but it's just, Mm. you know, you can have negatively and positively charged ions yeah, and they make a difference to the way a room feels. I think maybe that's not based on science. There's different, like, well, I love both of us speaking to each other as if we have, we're not going by things that we heard that someone else read 10 years ago. I'm just freestyling made up science. I am. There's got to be stuff going on with electromagnetic stuff. Surely. There is a part of me that's like, if there are like electromagnetic pulses that affect bird migration. Yeah. Surely there's some weird thing going on that we just don't really comprehend and will never comprehend. And that's absolutely fine. I get sleep paralysis sometimes. and I. Oh, really? Yeah. And, and it's not very often, but. How do you define that? How do you define sleep paralysis? Well, I only go off the description on, you know, WebMD and MayoClinic.com and then kind of, you know, uh, go, yeah, I've got that. I had it when I was younger. Well, I had something when I was younger where I'd wake up and not be able to move or scream Mm. or like waking up out of a nightmare and then trying to scream. And that's still how it feels. Where like you're trying to move but you can't, so your body your body like, is still, still asleep. asleep. Oh, that is terrifying. Yeah, have you never had that before? No, I don't. I mean, maybe for a second. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like a split second when you wake up and you're aware of it, and it is usually yeah. after some wine has been consumed the previous yeah. evening, <laughs> and it is very unpleasant. It's very unpleasant. And when it goes away, it's a bit like sometimes when you you're a bit tired or whatever, and you just forget how to breathe or walk. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? Like yeah, for a tiny second. Yeah, you know when that happens. <laughs> yeah. And you suddenly go, oh, I can't remember exactly. I breathe out and now, and now. Well, I can't. When do I breathe in? When does that, how do I do that again? <laughs> yeah. I'll be doing something and I'll be lost in thought and then suddenly I'll just go, 
<gasps> yeah. <laughs> it's like I haven't breathed for like 10 solid seconds. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, you just got Oh, yeah, breathing. Yeah, it's like your autopilot is just like malfunctioned. No, I, I totally get that. Oh, man. But you still get the occasional bout of sleep paralysis. And how long do you think it lasts for? Oh, not long. It, it's more just like... It will be like waking up in the middle of the night and then um and then out of a sort of bad dream and mm. then trying to talk or scream out of fear mm-hmm. and then uh, <laughs> so it's so funny soberly describing it like awake you're like I sound insane but yeah that's kind of what it feels like but I I think to the ghost thing so many people's ghost stories always like there was a fucking man at the end of my bed dude and he had a top hat and he looked at me man he sat on the bed and I felt it and it's like yeah I think that's just a bit of dream state kind of blurring into you being half awake. That's the Um, thing. That's the thing that I always think anything can happen in that state. You're half in a total dreamland where no rules apply. Mm -hmm. And um, you could imagine anything when you're there. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for ether. Oh, yeah. Although this is spelt A-E-T-H-E-R. Oh, like when they spell fairy, like fairy. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it, got Ether, it. Ether, brackets, classical element. The classics. According to ancient and medieval science, ether is the material that fills the region of the universe above the terrestrial sphere. The concept of ether was used mm. in several theories to explain several natural phenomena, such as the traveling of light and gravity. It doesn't say anything about ghosts or recording strong <laughs> emotional experiences. Yeah. Citation needed hardcore on yes. that one. Yeah. Yeah. You're just going to see Adam and the history of it being like, guys, we keep deleting my thing about ghosts. That's right. I'm just scrolling down here. Oh, no, there is a section on me. Yes. It says the freestyle scientist, Dr. A. Buckles, <laughs> believes that ether actually records extreme events and uh, you can feel them when you go into a room years later. So there you go. Oh, everything's up for grabs with ether. Come on. Yeah. Ether is literally the most wishy-washy concept of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let any ether heads hear that, though. Maybe edit that out. Shit. Flavoured ether. You can probably get... It's like vape. It's like <laughs> yeah. walking into a big room filled with vape smoke. <laughs> That's what the ether is. <laughs> oh, yeah, trauma-flavoured vape ether. That's amazing. Do you like walking through someone else's vape smoke? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it. Especially when it's like butterscotch. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's also really sweet seeing like a real seemingly kind of hard looking dude um vaping on like what looks like a walkie talkie and then like walking through their vape and then smelling like a little sweet smell that's right <laughs> and you're like oh it's cute you a cute little vape <laughs> yeah. flavor it smells like sort of lilac toilet freshener yeah or something. candy floss that's really nice yeah <laughs> i think that's the saddest thing about lockdown is that none of us have been walking through the vape clouds of other people no and that's what i miss the most i wonder if covid can survive in vape smoke true it probably can it's very hardy and persistent isn't it Mm. fucking covid it'll get you man i yeah i don't know there should be government trials going on as we speak about covid's resistant to vape smoke otherwise you know that would be a simple solution right there didn't they say that vaping is worse to if you can get covid more if you vape or smoke it was, and then, I mean, it was such a wild time when, when the pandemic first was kind of, you know, kicking off where like the articles you'd read. Yeah, the good old days. Yeah, the good old days, you know, when we thought, yeah, no, why not? No, no, that'll be done by Christmas. Um, by Easter. By Easter. Oh, my God. According to Trump. And then he came out and he was all big on his uh, 
they can shine light on it, and uh, you can you can inject <laughs> disinfectant. It's, it's impressive stuff. I was only joking. I was joking about it. No, you weren't. Do you know the worst sentence? I was on my way in a taxi to go to Magic Mike Live when I heard on the radio about the concept of herd immunity, mm-hmm. and that was a snapshot of this time last year. I was still going to Magic Mike Live. Leicester Square was still operating while the government was suggesting that we all just get it and get over it. It just is the most surreal, bizarre thing of all time. Is Magic Mike Live just, you're basically just going to a lap dancing club? It's sort of, no, it's a bit more, you know. There's a story. uh, Expensive than that. Uh, (laughs) um, There is a vague story. There's a guy called Mike in it. And he sort of goes through the, he sort of learns how to be Magic Mike. He sort of takes his clothes off. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like as he sheds layers of clothes, (laughs) he like gains layers of sort of uh, self-discovery. They get you up on stage a lot and um, and I remember that performance that got me up on stage. Yeah, they talk to you a little bit, (laughs) like the audience can't hear, but... He talked to me about COVID. <laughs> like, he was from Australia and he's like, oh, he's from New Zealand. He's like, oh, man, yeah. Oh, I bet you wish you were back there at the moment. Yeah, because you know, it's, it's really getting bad. There. Are you going to go home? Oh, no, you're not going to. Oh, okay, cool. And it was all while he was like half naked yeah. and making me do things. And it was it was really, really funny. It was so <laughs> weird and inappropriate. But I do worry about those boys. They're out of jobs, you know, so right. now because, you know, obviously. Well, maybe they've gone back to Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> What's the current situation in New Zealand re-COVID? They're still okay, aren't they? Yeah, it's pretty rocking, man. Yeah. They're like this time last year in March, I went home for five months because everything happened and I was supposed to be filming a show that I'd written and then... Starstruck. Yeah, Starstruck, yeah. and This it, was series two of Starstruck that you were doing last year, right? Series one, series first series. So yeah, oh. I had, we hadn't done any of it, yeah. So um, it all fell apart, <laughs> like, you know, in the pre-prod to that. It all just kind of increasingly became aware that it was not going to happen then. So we shifted it to the end of the year and then I went home to just be home for that period of time. And then we came out of it like... We had a couple of months lockdown, which was, you know, more lockdown actually than London ever was, and then came out of it and then kind of returned to relatively normal lives. And it was just an insane, insane privilege to have, to be able to have had a couple of months doing that. It's just wild. Yeah. And when did you yeah. shoot Baby Done then? Shot Baby Done in 2019. So it was like oh. a while back, yeah. Right, I sort of misunderstood and I thought that, oh, look, this is one of these that happened in the gap. New Zealand yeah. productions that just carried on because they, <laughs> they weren't locked down. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that. But uh, it was funny, though. I did shoot a show when I was back there in New Zealand. My friends did a sitcom and I was bored and around and so I I asked to be in it. Yeah. And they, they let me be in it. So Good one. That never works for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I shot a special in January. Last year, just before everything. That was Horndog. Yeah, and that was, I can't believe my luck in having done that in January and then the rest of the year happening. It was yeah, right. wild. Horndog, which we are about to see premiered on British TV. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be available on the iPlayer later this month as we speak. Mm-hmm. Has Starstruck mm-hmm. been out then? Nah, Starstruck is out later on this year. Right, okay. So we're just finishing up editing it now. And in the final stages of that, 
business. So elevator pitch for Starstruck, please, Rose. Go. <laughs> oh God. Oh I oh God, what floor are you going to? I'm so sorry. All the way up. Uh, so so is a girl a girl um who does, looks a lot like me and is basically identical to my personality but has a different name, um, has a one night stand with a very famous actor and then, you know, just a crazy, crazy twelve months ensue and no, you have to go. That's fine. That's fine. No, that's cool. I'm. I'll, I'm going to stay in it. I'm. Go, I'm going to the top floor. Yeah. No. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get. Yeah. I'll oh, stay. that sounds fun. Yeah. Is it like? Um. Is it like Notting Hill? It's uh, yes, yeah, sort of like gender reverse Notting Hill, if anything. But no, no. It, honestly, it's not going to be that great. So don't even. Honestly, I don't even know why I decided to pitch this to you in an elevator. I think it's good. It, it, I'll send you an email. I could send you a PDF email about the uh, thing. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. I've changed my character now. Okay, that's, thank you for... Before I was talking like that. Now I'm an executive, <laughs> uh, sort of old school, posh executive yeah. from oh, love the it. BBC. Okay, yeah. And I'm saying, yeah, that would be really good. Yeah. I sound more like an advertising agent. I haven't really thought this character yeah. through, but still, sounds great. I really like it. Are you thinking a real celebrity to play the celebrity or someone not that well known? I think we're just going to keep an open um, kind of casting process and just go for the person who's the best for the role, I suppose. Um, and, you know, I was hoping to play the female role um, of, of Jessie. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, so if that's okay. I will audition. I still will. I can self-tape if that's a thing you guys need. Yeah, we were thinking Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Oh, she's so good. She's very she's good. Great. It's just... It's hard because I think she's sort of doing some other stuff. And also, like, the character is, like, half Samoan. And I just don't know if, like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is, like... Just do, we can do some curly hair and some tattoos or something. Yeah, I... Yeah, yeah, no, I don't think that that... I think, I honestly, as the BBC, I think you are under fire for a lot of... Like, no, sensitive I, tattoos. Sensitive tattoos. Got it, yeah. So you'll have, like, a cultural advisor with that sort of stuff. I just don't think Phoebe would be on board with that. I think Phoebe would be, like... Anyway... Honestly, no, no, she's great. Like, to cast her, because she's obviously got a great track record. She's very good, and everybody knows her. Yeah. She's done really well. Yeah. She's successful. Yeah. So I'm thinking that would be good. It's so interesting, because, like, she wasn't successful before Fleabag, and it's kind of, like, nice to maybe give new people opportunities mm, to, new like, people. do stuff. But don't know about that. I do respect it. But anyway, this has been an amazing work experience day, and um, thank you for having me at the BBC. Yeah. No it's problem. It's been great. And scene, great. Oh, that was, um, there was too much truth to that. That's what I'm known for in my improv. <laughs> I'm very edgy. People are scared to improv with me generally because there's too much truth and it's frightening. Yeah. Every time we improv with Adam, it's kind of like some, I don't know, it gets really real and heavy. Like yeah. it kind of brings up grievances. <laughs> the following Ramble Chat remix is by AJ Bean Singh from Milwaukee, United States. Go, 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 go
put it on, put it on, put it on, put it on. As we compare and contrast this with that in rap. You see, rap is a conversation, and everybody raps. It's amazing. All we do is pull the thoughts from the hats and perform the magic act we call the ramble chats. Talking about starstruck and sort of mm-hmm. celebrities and relationships with celebrities. Yes, I only recently found out that you were the person that had a relationship with James A. Caster, and mm-hmm. that he spoke about in some of his work. Yeah, after you stopped seeing each other, not about your relationship specifically and the details of it, but about the fact that he found it hard the breakup and that he had a breakdown later on that year. So at this point, I just want to say, if you would rather we didn't even talk about this at all, then please say mm-hmm. so and we'll move on. But I was going yeah. to sort of ask if you were okay to sort of talk around the subject and talk about yeah. the fact that I just found it strange. I find it strange when comedians talk about their relationships and do shows about their relationships. And mm-hmm. I always wonder what it's like for the other person. Yeah. So is that a subject that you would rather not get into? Or No, I think it's... Well, no, you were the first person to really ask me anything about, I mean, about the more specifically the fact of like what it is like when, you know, you're in a relationship with a comedian and what it feels like to have something written sort of referencing you. I think, um, you know, more more than any of my close friends who are actual comedians who have never brought it up. And I should say at this point that, you know, I like James Acaster very much and I think that he was careful to be sensitive Mm -hmm. in the way that he dealt with the topic he was certainly Mm. not interested in throwing you under the bus as Mm. far as i can tell Mm -hmm. is that right yeah no i mean from a nerdy comedy perspective i think this happens a lot that like there's so many you know comedians date other comedians because that's like your workplace and (laughs) that's where you meet people and that's certainly how i met um james and i think i do find that there is something uncomfortable like personally i in my comedy with relationship stuff I hopefully turn it into something, all those experiences into something that's observational Mm -hmm. and more abstract so it can be relatable to an audience. And I think other people's style is to get quite personal and specific about details about people. It's actually really good to talk about because I think sometimes it feels uncomfortable or weirdly jarring to become a character in someone else's story Mm -hmm. that's quite public and admittedly, I actually wrote Porn Dog a couple of years after we broke up as a way of like dealing with that kind of breakup, but never specifically. I think it, and it became sort of like a wider comment on breakups and breakdowns of relationships and all of that. But I didn't really have any specific references and I don't think I would make work with specific references to that. But I would say that there's a feeling that's uncomfortable about not being like consulted properly sometimes when you're not on great terms with someone Mm -hmm. and someone else's work and just the kind of muckiness of like when someone financially does benefit from that. I think there's a weird conundrum there where um, it gets messy when people get quite personal and details about it. And also it's kind of hard to be upset about it in that when someone deals with it quite sensitively, 
But it is jarring to find out that you've been written about in a book from someone on the bus, which is what happened to me, where someone like kind of recited personal anecdotes and history about my former relationship. She was a nanny on the bus and she like basically like told me the story of my breakup. And I had no idea that it had been written about. And I kind of got off the bus three stops early and went home and figured out what she was talking about. And um, read bits of that book, and I was like, "Oh, damn, that's crazy!" <laughs> like, it's a weird way to find out that you know that's been chatted about. This is a book he wrote called "Perfect Sound," whatever. Mm. I suppose he, because he doesn't mention you by name, of course. I haven't read the book, by the way, so I, I can't speak to exactly what kind of thing he was talking about. But I don't know James very well, but he seems like a nice guy, a thoughtful guy, and someone who would certainly not like the idea of upsetting you. Yeah. But um, because I wrote about relationships that I'd had in a book recently, a kind of memoirish book that came out last year, mm-hmm. and they were some of the formative relationships I'd had in, in my teens. Yeah. But I wrote about them in a fairly abstract way. I changed the names. I don't think mm-hmm. I went into any real details if there was an embarrassing story, I was the butt of the joke. And then yeah. afterwards, I sent most of the extracts to the real people. Yes. And said, like, um, are you comfortable? Is this okay? And I let them pick their fake names and things yeah. like that. So that I felt That's as if I was hopefully doing due diligence in the run up to the publication. Yeah. However, after it came out, I mean, I haven't heard from them so far. <laughs> And uh, I wonder, I have worried about Mm. how they feel about it because they were fine with the stuff I sent them. Although Mm. one of them had a couple of comments and she said, oh, did you really think that? And I was like, no, 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 that's a joke. I mean, that's just me being a dick. Like the joke is that I'm a dick in that situation and it would be dickish to think that thing that I wrote. Mm -hmm. But no, I didn't really think it. I think it's the weird thing of like, you have no right of reply (laughs) when someone else has recorded a narrative of their experience of a situation there's part of me that's like man i imagine how she feels like having her life spoken about that way and it's a tough one i think it's a it's a real tough one because i do believe in performers having to mine your own personal you know um experiences and stuff to make art or whatever you know performance and stuff and that's such an important thing about being a comedian and a performer But I think you need to deal with the repercussions of using that because it ultimately is your job and it's the way you make money. And if the way you make money is involving sort of the, I guess, reputations of other people, then it gets a bit muddy. So I think, yeah, personally, I just avoid that kind of stuff. And if I did reference anyone, I would, I, you know, sort of do what kind of what you did with your book and feel like they're involved in the process of something that involved two people. Yeah. I think in short... Don't date other comedians, I think, is probably my only advice. And that goes for non-comedians. Don't date <laughs> don't date comedians. It's probably not a good idea. Yeah, comedians and writers and anyone who's likely to just feed their real life into their art. 
into their art, man. I mean, I do do it quite a lot. That's the thing is like I walk a line with it. Mm. I'm quite lucky in a way with my wife because she is entirely disengaged from what I do yeah. by choice. To the point where like she doesn't respect it in a way. <laughs> That's actually a good vibe, I think, for a partner. There has been that conversation. But <laughs> no, she does respect what I do and she likes what I do. But mm-hmm. she just finds it. You know, I went into the kitchen the other day and she was listening to Louis Theroux's podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I made a joke. I was like, why are you listening to this fucking shit? You know, and, and that's a joke. I do like Louis and yeah. I like his podcast. Yeah, of course. But I did think at that moment, I was like, you know, I do a podcast <laughs> and some people like it. And um, maybe it's even almost as good as Louis. <laughs> Give that a listen. I've done some episodes you might like with some interesting people. And she just said, I know, I know. I just find it a bit weird. I just don't. It's just a bit weird. And I, I prefer not to. And I thought, fair enough. I think, yeah, that <laughs> it's really funny that she's listening to Louis Theroux's podcast, though. I mean, to be fair, both very good podcasts. Yeah. I think you get different things from the both the podcasts. I mean, oh, man, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of both podcasts. And I think Careful. your Paul McCartney episode, the shining light of that episode, to the extent where I went out and bought the ingredients but never actually um, followed through on it, is when he talked about loving um, hummus and hummus bagels and hummus, hummus on the bagels. bagels. I was like, that's the shit, man. That's the shit that you need to get out of these people. Like, And that whole interview was just so... So good. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. But no, I'm glad oh you gosh. liked it. No, it was, it was a really cool, gentle uh, interview. I'm. Uh, he's just a cool guy. He's really just a sort of straightforward character in a lot of ways. I did watch that little clip that Peter Jackson released of the documentary that's going to be coming out of him. Yeah. Damn, it was cool. Oh, my God. It got me jazzed for that. And I just watched the Bee Gees documentary and I'm like, I'm all for these docos about like that VG documentary was awesome as well i heard some other people talking about yeah. that where do you watch that i watched it on now tv and it was funny because i was watching it with my flatmates and i realized like sort of 10 minutes in that they were playing songs and i'd be like singing along to like fanny b tender and they're like what are you doing and i'm like the song fanny b tender and they're like i have no idea what the song is i'm like sorry is that a VG song yeah fanny b tender with my love you know how easy it is to hurt yeah that's a great song you can't call a song fanny b tender <laughs> well guess what <laughs> they did it fanny b tender is well it was very, i was a huge Bee Gees fan when i was a kid and um and and, and it was one problem, of the funny times <laughs> you can get a cream for that surely yeah, it's the Caniston. It's sponsored by Caniston. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you sang that really well. Do you sing? Um, have you done singing? Have you done like songs and stuff? Singing. No, but I do joke. I mean, when you're half Polynesian, like it is probably a racist stereotype, but you can just sing. You sicken me. <laughs> you kind of have a semi ability to sing. Okay. But I don't know. Maybe it's from my brown side or not. But no, I am. Um, I, I know. I like. I used to like singing. I used to be in all the musicals and stuff when I was um, a kid and a teenager. But once you get into comedy and stuff. There are certain things that you kind of have to, in a way, say goodbye to doing unironically. Yeah. It's so hard because I play the ukulele and I really love playing the ukulele, but I um, Uh also realize that it's the tweest fucking instrument on earth. Oh, it's nice though. My daughter's learning how to play the ukulele and it's it's great. I should give her, I I don't know what I was going to say. I should give her lessons. I don't know what I was going to offer giving her some lessons. I should give her some words of encouragement. Yeah, that would be great. The following Ramble Chat remix is by Jigsaw Tiger from Glasgow, Scotland. Visit her website, jigsawtiger.com, to hear more of her sounds. Ramble. Ramble. 
I noticed you used to do celebrity interviews yourself. Yeah. You used to do like junket interviews back in the day yeah, for... Was it called New Zealand Today? New Zealand, no, no, no. It was actually, um, at that time, it was Jono and Ben, uh, which is almost like the New Zealand version of Anton Deck. But that was, yeah, I did a lot of press junkets for that. Before that, I hosted um, like a free view music television show on the afternoons from 4 to 7 on a channel that no one watched. And I'm pretty sure it was just a tax write-off for the channel <laughs> operators where you, we would just have to talk for three hours every afternoon and interview a lot of people, like three people a day. And you're just talking about people who aren't keen on being interviewed. Oh, my God, I had that so much. I remember once I was hosting like a Comic-Con style event in New Zealand once. And um, I think it was Lance Hendrickson, you know, from Alien. Yeah. Yeah. And fuck, man, he hated my guts. And he just (laughs) really thought I was a piece of shit. And it was like quite bizarre just to be like roasted by this older man when you're, I think I was like 20. Yeah, so there were some situations which sucked and interviewing people really sucked. Most of the time because I never did research and I would often be on the couch like, you know, doing the TV show and then the guest would come in. I'd be like, hey, man, good to see you. And then on the computer in front of me, I would be furiously reading the press release for whoever that person was <laughs> and just being like, oh, good. okay, oh, your new album, like, oh, great, great, great. So I was very unprepared. But I got to do some cool press junkets for John and Ben. I, I met Amy Schumer and Bill Hader for Trainwreck. Yeah, the format was you sort of speed dating with them. <laughs> yeah, that was a sketch I did on the show that I would interview people with. Uh, with there were speed dates and I'd kind of go in. Like they were, they were kind of New Zealand celebrities or, in that case, them, the press junker. And, yeah, it was just like I'd sit down for like about half an hour with a person and beforehand I'd just go, hey, I'm so sorry. This is going to be horrible and really uncomfortable for you. <laughs> and I'm just going to say some terrible stuff. And at the end I'll sort of come out of a trance and then apologize. So that was always a fun segment. I find those things really difficult to do. You know, when some sometimes as a comedian you're forced to do like – Vox pop style things where you're kind of trying to make a f- not make a fool but like be a character in front of someone and make someone else feel uncomfortable that's like the worst feeling thing for me it's just horrible I still think about times where I've had to do that in my career and hated it oh yeah I, we used to do exactly when I say we me and Joe Cornish and we used yeah. to do a tv show on channel four and, and we had mm-hmm. some mild elements of that mm-hmm. of silly interviews slightly pranky feeling interviews but yeah. as with you, we would always explain quite carefully beforehand, <laughs> yeah. like this is yeah. what to expect, that we're going to be doing this. and You feel sick. And sometimes you do feel absolutely sick. And once I had, Sorry. you know, the thing that scarred me, which I often bring up is, <laughs> and I wasn't even pranking the guy, mm-hmm. but I was interviewing Paul Weller yeah. on the radio. And I said, does anyone ever say to you, Paul Weller, 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 oh, tell me more, tell me more. And he just fucking hated it. And he, said, uh, and he just said, all right, okay, you're trying to be funny, are you? <laughs> all right, okay is just the worst words to hear after. I don't know if he said all right, okay. There was just a long silence. Oh, it kills me. And 
I bring it up on the podcast once every two weeks <laughs> because I'm still scarred by it. It's such a scar, but it is. It's the, those are the things that wake you up at night. At bed, I'll be drifting off and that's the exact type of scenario that will come to me and I'll like wake up in a flash of going, oh my God, remember that horrible thing that you did on <laughs> Freeview television, like in 2015 or whatever. Lance Henriksen's face hovering <laughs> over your bed as you're paralyzed. Yeah, I'm still I'm still trying to um, write mean things on his Wikipedia article, you know, but, uh, but it keeps on getting edited. That's a funny thing I realized about myself the other day. I was doing a pre-call for like, a show of like asking whether or not I had anecdotes or something. I realize I have no anecdotes. I have zero anecdotes. And it's not even being like, oh, trying to be funny. I genuinely don't have any anecdotes. None of my comedy like is really anecdotal and stand up. I've done nothing in my life because I've done comedy since I was like 15. So yeah. all of my anecdotes have to do with comedy. And that's not interesting. And no one wants to talk about that. And I kind of had a bit of a crisis. I was like, fuck, I have done nothing. <laughs> and I think in conversations, that's why I don't like, I so quickly get to the point where I'm asking someone how they feel about dying or yeah. like, you know, exactly. Like, do you believe in ghosts? Because what else are you going to talk about? Like, it, it's nothing. Yeah, that's right. I'm exactly the same. Like, I met Twiggy the other day, virtually. Really? Uh, yeah, I was on her podcast. Oh, cool. I hope maybe she'll come on mine too. Yeah. But, you know, Imagine the kind of life she has led yeah. and the number of anecdotes she has racked up. Oh my God. You know, she said to me, Who's the most interesting person you ever sat next to on a plane? I was like, um, <laughs> I sat next to a psychologist once. She was really interesting. <laughs> and I was like, How about you? She goes, Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he was just the most interesting of the interesting people that she has sat next to. And they had a long conversation and talked about the undersea world. And it's like, oh, fucking hell. Imagine she's like nonstop anecdotes. But as you say, yeah, I'm much happier just waffling on as we have done. I like these kinds of conversations. You just oh. skid from one very broad topic to another. You're going to skid from one to one. <laughs> That's so funny about Twiggy. Because like, obviously, she's met so many people in the time that she existed and all of that but also it's like being incredibly good looking and a model opens some doors right. you're going to be sat next to some interesting people yes and Find they are going to be happy to chat with you exactly they're going to be very happy to chat with especially you especially sort of uh, older men in the 70s i would imagine <laughs> exactly up in first class oh, i've kind of delved deep in this lockdown into sort of uh, doubling down on my interest in that era of stuff of like 60s sort of you know celebrities or musicians or whatever and it's so hard because it's so hard to be a fan of so many of those men because mm -hmm. you read past the early life of their wikipedia article and then it just gets dark and you're like damn it like i've been getting massively into um anthony newley at the moment and just oh, like yeah. weirdly listening to every album and watching every fucked up film he's done and all this stuff and uh, I love him. And then it's just, but he, he's, he's what the kids would call a problematic fave. Problematic, I think. yeah. He's kind of problematic. But then, fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny thing to be a fan of that time. But man, I, I'm glad Twiggy is like out there 
rocking it, having a podcast. Like, mm. get me into that. Have you listened to the podcast? Who else does she interview? I listened to an episode she did with Molly Ringwald. Oh, my God. Yeah, who turns out cool. to be an amazing singer. I didn't know that. Because her dad's a singer, isn't That's he? That's right. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realise. She went through a whole France phase, I think, after, you know, she moved to Paris and stuff and, like, started singing jazz and stuff. Right. Molly Ringwald, yeah. And, of course, she's been quite public about some problematic, problematic aspects problematic. of working with John, John Hughes. Hughes. Yeah. Who was mildly obsessed with her as far as I can tell romantically. <sighs> what is it with these dudes? Oh god, yeah. I mean, but then you watch a John Hughes film, you if you watch 16 Candles today, it's yeah. like ding 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 yeah. like it's almost, it's so many wildly inappropriate yeah. things, but That's it's right. um which is yeah. weird because I, again, I've talked about this before, but The Breakfast Club which was my favorite film when it mm, came out in too. 1985 and Love I it. was I was exactly the right age for it. You know, I was 16 yeah. years old and falling in love every two weeks and thought teenagers were, you know, we were like way more important. Adults didn't understand when you grow up, yeah. your heart dies, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I loved it. But looking back on it, you know, and then I watched it 30 years later and, and it's like, whoa, this is a very strange film. And yeah. they're all dicks, really. And I was like, I love those dicks. Does that mean I am a dick? <laughs> I really vibed with um, Ali Sheedy's character. Yeah, I loved her. Yeah, she's the best, but I hate how she gets made over at the end. She gets all girlified. Do you feel like when you watch St. Elmo's Fire, you're like, that's not my Ali Sheedy. That's not my Ali Sheedy. Because <laughs> my she's, wife loves St. Elmo's Fire, but I'm, I don't I think I've made St. it through Elmo's once. Fire. Is it good? Is it worth revisiting? Well, no, I mean, I went through a big brat pack phase when i was a teenager i like the same thing with breakfast club and and 16 candles and stuff and um really got into san Thomas fire to the extent where I, I i started a social softball team in my early 20s and we called our team san Elmo's fire yeah which is actually an awesome social softball team name it's a cool name there's a brian eno song called san Elmo's fire which mm -hmm. predates all that mm. so that's what san Elmo's fire means to me is that one spitting ions in the ether so look you see we formed a little connection to the ether there <laughs> via brian eno and the breakfast club and john hughes but no I, what i was going to say about all that stuff was mm -hmm. I've told myself retrospectively that thinking back on those movies as a 50-year-old or whatever, mm -hmm. I feel as if we thought a lot of those strange elements were strange at the time. Some of mm -hmm. the kind of casual homophobia and the weird uh, sexual harassment stuff in The Breakfast yeah. Club and certain bits that people have raised their eyebrows at, yeah. you know, watching it in 2020. Yeah. But maybe I'm fooling myself. I mean, I don't know. I, I really strongly feel that we did think like, because you, you watch any movie and you think, well, yeah. that, that bit's a bit shit. But overall... No, but I think that's a bit... I, 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 as, a, as a massive fan... <laughs> This sounds like I'm an alien. As a massive fan of pop culture, mm. I, I sound like a Mars Attacks alien. I, I find it frustrating when people look back on those films and like, this film revisited and all these ways that it kind of sucked and blah, 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 blah. And it's basically like trying to cancel old films. And it's like, sure, but we are going to look back on films in 2020 and go, what the fuck are we doing? We exactly. were, We were... You know, the way we treat trans characters now in 20 years is going to be so dated. The way that we deal with so many issues is going to look exactly like the stuff that we watch in, in John Hughes films. And all that is to say, that just means we're progressing as a society. And that's a snapshot of what we put up with at that time. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily endorsing those views or those kind of jokes made in, in films like that. And, and, it's, and it's difficult. I think it's a di different thing to not, you know 
participate or add to the um, bank vaults of still alive directors who have done fucked up shit and and not want to support that work. I think that's, you know, there's fair game. Mm -hmm. It just means that everyone's progressing and we're getting smarter and better at things. And if anything, it's like a positive thing. But yeah. I agree. It's because I like a lot of old shit and you're like. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. People listen to this podcast and go, what were they thinking? They're talking shit about ghosts. That's right. The ether community is going to come after us, man. Exactly. And I really think like AIs, I think that's definitely a thing that is going to be weird for people to look back on. I think that AIs will be a real community of people who you have to be respectful of. Yeah. And it will be weird when people think back to a time that you just treated them like machines. And Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, even as I'm saying it, it sounds kind of mad. That is so true. I mean, thank God we won't be around to sort of experience that. I don't know, man. I mean, things are speeding up. (sighs) Do you want to live to like 150? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Do you think that would be cool? I don't know. Maybe. No way. No? It would be awful. Even if like 150 years, what, you know, decades ago, you know, someone would be like, I'd live to 80. That'd be awful. That'd be terrible. Do you think that that's the same thing with like 150? Like health wise, health outcomes will be better, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, how much better? It's like, what kind of quality of life are we talking about? Because yeah. most hundred year olds don't seem to be really living it up. I think I saw an interview with one guy who was in his 90s and he Mm. had never smoked a cigarette and he had never eaten any red meat and he had exercised every day. I mean, he had lived a totally Spartan life and he was in impressive shape. But he was just... over it. All his family and all his friends were gone and he was living in a little care home and he went on his treadmill every day and walked around Mm. in the garden in, in, in his shorts and did interviews mm. about being nearly 100 and still being in such yeah. good shape. And I just thought, is that yeah. great? I want to tap out. I don't know. My flatmate Al, the other day at dinner, was talking about how <laughs> we were talking about you know life expectancy. He was doing the same thing as the ether thing of going, I remember reading once an article like five years ago, but it was, he thought it was like this Thai man who lived till he was like, basically 150 and we're like no surely not and he's like oh maybe like 120 but the funniest thing about the story is that he hit 90 and he started apparently digging his own grave because <laughs> he was like i'm ready he was so ready at 90 and the idea of digging your own grave at 90 <laughs> living for another two decades <laughs> is so funny to me is so funny he was so fucking ready to go man and then he just annoyingly stuck around for a couple of decades like oh the confidence of the man to dig your own grave at 90 <laughs> is like just awesome i want to be that guy The following Ramble Chat remix is by Benjamin Bell from Chelmsford, UK. It's called the Campfire Buxton Blues. Join us around the campfire. Bob's about to tell us his blues. My tortoise ran away and I couldn't catch it up. And my book club disbanded and I really had enough. And I looked out at the ocean. Okay, Adam there. Okay, Adam. Could you be quiet when others are speaking? Yes. Okay, Sarah, take it away. I went for a walk and I was really taken aback because my shoes were all two sizes too big. And I was really worried. 
was, blah, blah, was worried about blah, it. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. All right, Adam, you're on a timeout. All right, Jim, you got blues? A tortoise showed up in my back garden last week, and now I've got a lettuce deficit. Adam, okay, fine, have it your way. Ted's back. Sing the song. Ramble chat, let's have a ramble chat. We'll focus first on this, then concentrate on that. Okay, you happy now? Yes. I read that you are a big uh, 90s R&B head. Ah, uh, no. No? No. Where did I get that from then? Well, I mean, I know stuff about 90s R&B. Yeah, absolutely. But like, not more than the other. I think I read about, oh, she's obsessed with it. Oh. It's one of her, it's one of her obsessions. But this, no, it was a thing. <laughs> I mean, y- yes, bits and bobs. I'm way more into stuff from the 60s and in, in, in 90s R&B, but I think I've got a healthy appreciation for it, okay. having lived through it. But yes, for the ease of what you're about to segue into, Hell yeah, I love 90s R&B. I mean, don't worry too much about it because yeah. I don't know anything about 90s R&B. I was sort of indifferent to it. Yeah. I was listening to the Pixies, right? So I was yes, on a totally yes. different page. And to mm-hmm. me, R&B in the 90s or at any time really after Stax Soul yeah. from the 60s yeah. just sounded like soppy music. It was like, yeah. I love you. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, I'm not bothered. I, I want some yeah. guitars and some shouting and mm-hmm. some songs about ghosts or snakes or whatever. I've got the album for you. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and I looked up the greatest R&B jams of the 90s. Yeah. So it's names that I remembered, Boys to Men and Tony, Tony, Tony and mm-hmm. Tony Braxton. Tony Braxton? Tony Braxton, yeah. People like that. Yeah. And it was good. I listened to it and I was like, oh, I get it now. It's really good. Yeah. It's almost like hip hop without the bragging about shooting people and mm-hmm. calling women bitches and things like that. I think a lot of that stuff and maybe maybe my area is more 2000s because that was when I was kind of growing up. But what I do love about 90s R&B is um, the narratives because the narratives are so rich and they get so much detail and information into the song mm-hmm. in such a short amount of time. There's yeah. a great song. When you're out in the club, don't think I'm not. Even when you're out making love, don't think I'm not. And it's like this whole R&B song about a woman who's like, I know you're cheating on me. And guess what, bitch? I'm cheating on you as well. <laughs> it's just like, and you are on this side 100%. I love that. Yeah. Such great storytelling. Exactly. A little drama within yeah. the space of a three-minute <laughs> song. Love a little drama. Anyway, so I thought I'm going to do a 90s R&B song and I'm going to do it for Rose. Oh, my God. Anyway, yeah. it turns out it's really difficult and you actually have to be somewhat talented to do it. <laughs> and first of all, I started out trying to write a song specifically for you and I couldn't do it. And then uh-huh. basically the end of this story is that I ran out of time and mm-hmm. I ended up, I got halfway through a song about making a cake. <laughs> But this is my attempt at an R&B song that I made for you. For me? That's so cool. Uh, Let's see if you can hear it. (laughs) Imagine if I take this really badly. Late last night, (laughs) I made a cake as a Valentine's gift for my beautiful wife. Though it was mainly for me, I spread vanilla buttercream icing. All over the cake I covered up the cake With a bowl But left it out That was a mistake In the morning Half the cake had gone And the cake that remained On the plate 
I played it to my family the other night and, I mean, they advised me not to play it to you. They just said, well, it doesn't really work. I think your family don't believe in you. That's toxic and you need to get rid. Wait, this is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Continue. Rosie! This is a real test of Rosie's alertness and her desire to do what she's told because we are on an unusual stretch of woodland. But here she is. Oh, she's a good dog. Rosie, come over here. (laughs) Seagulls. That's an intrepid seagull. We're quite a long way inland here. We got sunshine. We got seagulls. It's like a day at the beach here. Rosie, come here. Come here. Get a congratulatory scritch-scratch. I love you. Welcome back, podcats. I was talking, as you well know, with Rose Matafeo there, and I'm extremely grateful to Rose for her time. It was great to meet her and talk with her. I had a good time, and I hope that she will come back at some point on the podcast. You will find in the description of the podcast various links to a few bits and pieces that I spoke about with Rose, as well as links to her special horn dog and the trailer for Baby Done and one of those celebrity speed dating interviews that she did with Bill Hader. There's an article about the whole concept of the ether and the history of that. Oh yeah, there's the webpage I looked at that had 20 essential tracks from the golden age of R&B and the video for my song Nutty Room that I filmed in the scary house that I spoke about which isn't there anymore it's been rebuilt additionally as I said in the intro you will find a link to the Metapop 
website where you'll find all the remixes of Ramble Chat that the Metapop community contributed. And there's a list of the ones that I selected as my favourites. Although it was very difficult. Well, I, I recorded a message as well, actually, to all the people who entered the competition, which you can find on there. Just saying thank you to all of them and expressing how hard it was for me to pick winners because there were a lot of good ones. And as I said, I'll probably scatter a few more throughout the podcast in forthcoming episodes. We're in a, a clearing in a wood right now. And the afternoon sun is shining through the trees. It's a little bit hobbity, although where we are right now, where badgers, I believe, have been digging holes... It's a bit like a kind of badger building site. It's a, it's a bit stig of the dumpy, you know? What looks like limestone or chalk that they have dug up. These badgers, man, they've got a serious digging ethic. Right, I'm going to go and join Rosie and my daughter and sit on the ground. But... Uh, before I do so, I just want to say thanks once again to Rose Matafeo, to Seamus Murphy-Mitchell for his always invaluable production support. Thanks, Seamus. Primary editor on this week's conversation was Scott Edwards. Scott and Matt Lamont, who also edits this podcast, have set up a company called PodMonkey, which I've mentioned a couple of times before. There's a link in the description of the podcast to their website, where you will be able to contact them should you require professional assistance with your own podcast project. The artwork for this podcast is by Helen Green. Thanks, Helen. Thanks very much indeed to you for listening. Hope you're doing well out there. And looking forward to getting back to school. Come on, road to recovery. Let's go. Just a few more months before the next mutation. No! before we are jumping up and down at some sweaty festival, hugging and breathing on each other. Here's a taste of what that'll be like. Hello, mate. All right, mate. Yeah, it's going to be great. Until next time, we are together. Next week, it'll be. Take very good care and remember... Is this going to embarrass you if I shout, I love you, bye? Just checking. Take care. I love you. Bye!